This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me recording this live on tape in New York from Vox Media Headquarters. Rich, what do you think of our headquarters? It's in the worst location in the world. Getting here was... In Manhattan. I understand that. I'm just saying it took me 40 minutes to get here from Spring Street. I'm sorry, dude. I know. We'll show you how to ride the subway. Yeah, it's all... It was hot. It was very hot. I didn't want to get drenched, and I didn't have a spare shirt to uh, wear. We we have extra shirts here. That voice you hear is Rich Antonello. He is CEO, co-founder? Yep. Of Complex. What's the formal name of Complex? Complex Complex Networks Now. Okay, we're just going to call it Complex. Yep. And the reason I asked you to start criticizing our offices right away is because that's kind of become your motif for the last few years is you're the guy who's truth-telling in digital media, which you can do because you have run and are running a successful digital media company. Welcome. Thank you, by the way. I don't think I'm the critic per se. I think that with truth-sayer, you didn't say critic, so I'm going to say truth-sayer. Nothing wrong with being a critic. I like it. Yeah. Especially if you can say, look, I've done it. Fair. That's fair. But it's not about rubbing anybody's face in it. It's just about differentiating it. A little bit of rubbing. No, I don't think so. I remember clearly, hazily, having a drink with you years ago. You're like, how come you guys spend all your time writing about Vice and Vox and BuzzFeed and blah, 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 and no one like me, you never pay attention to a guy like me who's just running a a profitable business? I I did say that. Yeah. That is fair. Yeah, that is fair. on your mind. That's fair. Um, in case you don't know what Complex is, and we should point out here that our engineer Jelani is very excited because while Jelani likes working Jelani. at Vox Media, he he really wants to work at Complex. Explain we why Jelani. Explain, explain why Jelani is starstruck about Complex. Explain why Jelani. Explain why people were excited about Complex. What is Complex? I mean, literally, if you really think about it, is we are a youth culture, the definitive youth culture brand now, and I say that not even from a media perspective, just as a brand. I think what we did, um, and starting way back, and I know we're going to get a little into that history, but what we really have tapped into and why we are such a definitive brand is we own and control and basically start the conversation of the most important topics and tenants to youth culture today. So I think of you guys as male-oriented, millennial and below, sneakers, hip-hop, um, and then randomly, in my mind, um, you have this viral video thing called Hot Ones. Well, we have an entire food brand called uh-huh. First We Feast. Which but actually, that's, that's not the one that's in my feed. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, Hot Ones is part of First yeah. We Feast, right? So it's the, the brand of yep. First We Feast, and that happens to be one of the shows. It is obviously a monster runaway. It's a great—you probably have seen this at some point, but if you haven't, it's a, it's a great idea. You've got a guy— Interviewing celebrities who eat a progression of spicily spiced hot wings. <laughs> spicily spiced. And and throughout the show, they start getting basically sick because the spice is, is do, so ridiculous. Do you know, like, the the origination no. of that quick? It's, Let's go. It's, it, and why I think it also—the origination actually explains why I think it breaks through. In this day and age, whether it's a sports star or uh, a celebrity and they go on these junkets or they after the game, everything is so uh, measured and mar- everyone's been marketing yep. trained and they say nothing, right? So the theory was is what if we did an interview show? Now, granted, we were always going to ask crazy different questions to begin with just because of the tone and topics that yep. we cover. But how do we really disrupt the media training? So it's like let's come up. 10 questions that get progressively harder, 10 wings that get progressively hotter. By the time you get to the fifth wing, you are so out of your goddamn mind. Yeah, you're spitting, you're puking. I've done it because I did an internal one where Uh I let them, instead of doing a town hall, I let them ask me questions unprepared. And I will tell you, by the time I got to the six, I can't remember six through 10. It was atrocious. Yeah, a lot of them describe sort of being high from the, the heat. Well, you know, the best line ever was Charlize Theron who said, she goes, this doesn't even have flavor. It's just a temperature. It's just hot. Yeah. Like, it's so bad, and it's painful. I'm going to send you a kit, by the way, so you can go do it at home. I went to Mission Chinese like Which is years awesome. after it, it it was cool, so I, I could get in. Um, and they have a wing thing there that will numb your lips so you can't taste it. Yeah, but without the cool questions. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so Hot Ones, is it became a phenomenon. And what was amazing is I think it broke through not just because— it, people were saying things, but people were enjoying saying things because it was it was in such a weird format. Yeah. And it's very genuine. And the celebrities, the biggest celebrities in the world, are breaking down. And it's really fun. 
And um, we look at it as some of the best, not just viral content, but consistently. I mean, we're nine seasons in on that. Oh, it's starting our 10th season very soon. And it is just a monster. So young, male... Male, I wouldn't even say male. I think there's a male tone to it, yeah. but we reach a lot of women. I'm not saying exclusively for men, but I'm just, I'm just sort of like putting it in a bucket, which is the way I viewed Complex for a long time, which is, hey, you're doing what lots of other people are doing. Um, at the time, they were raising a ton of money. You weren't. They had more views or Facebook likes or whatever the metric was right, at that, that time. Optics that don't matter. But at the time, it did seem to matter because that seemed to be their funding story. Um, That's interesting. We'll, Funding we'll, story versus actual fundamental foundational we'll go back. building. But I sort of said, all right, there's a bunch of things like this, and some of them now, now no longer exist. Some of them are still hopping around. But it didn't seem extraordinary. But except, clearly, for the, except for the topics that we were covering were very different. They've yeah, always been But I mean, different. I could have I said, oh, it's like Vice. If um, I was doing a very, a very quick back-of-the-hand thing. To, I, I think uh, for the for the— the non-expert, I would say, yes, I would agree with that. I think that was part of the frustration also is, you know, Vice to me is a tone type of brand. And that's one reason why they do well in news. But they've really never been an original content player or they've never really opened up a new category and defined that category like we did with sneakers or taking hip-hop culture to the masses to the same degree. They've kind of been an attitude more than a brand. Uh, or an original content producer. They've been very good on the reactionary and the news side of things. So I think there's always been a clear delineation there. They got a lot of hype, and no one did a better job PR-wise than them. No one. They did well. For a long time. Sold the company in 2016. It's still owned by a JV of, of Hearst and Verizon. Correct. There's not a long track record of media JVs that work out, but you're still here. It's 2019. And, be and doing better. I mean, I think... No shots at them because those are two, one very large corporate private entity, one large public entity. Your owners. My, our owners. Yeah. I think one of the best things we ever did, and I wish I, I could say this was intentional, but um, the fact that it's, there's no majority owner and it's a 50-50 and we never had to integrate into either company and we ran ourselves as an independent and continue to is why I think we've continued to And there's to no put call, Verizon or Hearst doesn't have the, the ability or desire to buy the other one out I, or I, sell? I can't, I can't get into that. That's a uh, yes? Okay. I, I, well, I can't. The, uh -huh. I, I can't physically. Yeah. But I think you have a very successful company, and when, people, when you're not under duress, people don't look to change things. I want to talk more about that structure and all that. Let's, let's go all the way back. Yep. When I first— Started hearing about Complex, it was Mark Echo's Complex. Mark Echo, the magazine. Yeah, fashion designer, and then he had yep. a magazine, and this was sort of standard in that era that you would, you would part Ralph, of your, your— Ralph Lauren had swing. Right, part of your, your empire building would be a magazine at some Correct. point. And then, you know, that didn't think much of it after that. When, when did you get involved? I came over in November of 2002. Uh, what were you doing before that? Uh, I was running revenue for National Geographic Adventure magazine. It was a, I was an intrapreneur. I worked uh, on a launch. We built that magazine for four years inside of a larger brand and company, which that actually really got me excited about trying to do something kind of on my own per se uh -huh. and led me to – pushed me from big corporate safe play to almost like the startup of startups inside of Echo. And Mark Echo knew you or? I met Mark and I met his, his business partner, Seth Gersberg, the guy who like ran the business mm -hmm. um, at a party, believe it or not. And they had just launched the first issue and it had Nas and Uncle Junior on one side and Rosario Dawson and his schoolgirl on the other side. And it was half buyer's guide. And I thought it was fantastic. It was very Japanese at that time, a very Japanese magazine, very forward. Um, stylistically was beautiful, uh, one of the worst executions I'd ever seen. And I told him, I'm like, I love the concept, hate the execution. It was like the Truman Show. Should have been the best movie ever, was a piece of crap. Do you mind the business or, or the actual product? Itself? Well, I didn't know the business. Just, that, they just had looking just at the actual They had just launched, right? Yeah. And they had just put the magazine out, and they were, like, complaining that it took two years to get out. And I'm like, first of all, you guys have no idea what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we proceeded to scream at each other for three and a half hours at this party. It's a good start. And Seth showed up at my apartment, found out my address because we knew some common people, and showed up at my apartment the next day and said, you have to come and fix this. And that's how it started. So you go to work for a print magazine. Right. And Separate LLC is part of the Echo, ECKO umbrella at the time. Very large, like massively hot streetwear brand. 
And, and right, and then then that sort of faded, right? Because brands fade. Yep. And well, go on. Well, here's here's we got there, and it was way more screwed up than I thought. Right? They had burned a lot of capital, made a lot of mistakes. We had to reboot the entire team, and then three and a half years later, by the end of '06, we broke even. Now, I, I don't know. You know enough about publishing to know it's a tough business to begin with as an independent inside of a non-strategic asset. That is not a lot of leverage there. So mm-hmm. we we kind of pulled off the amazing. Um, and then at the end of 06, I went to my guys before their – this was at the height of their business. They were do, now doing about $1.2 billion of sweatshirts, hats, hoodies, and stuff like that in that time frame. And I said, good news, bad They're news. They're sort of contemporary of like FUBU at the time. They were, they were, yeah, they, FUBU had started to fade. Okay. Mecca had started to fade. And then it was kind of like Rock Aware and those guys, mm-hmm. right? Fat Farm, Russell stuff, things like that. And, um, but Echo had always crossed over into the suburbs in a more uh, effective way, which was really the auspices to think about kind of the culmination of a whole bunch of different verticals and put together for complex. That was the real theoretical idea, the concentric circle type thing, well before all the people started really talking about it. And then, so at the end of 06, I was like, good news, bad news, guys. We're going to make some money next year. But instead of paying you back, I'm like, I need all of our profits and we're going to go hard into digital. And they were like, F no. And I'm like, well, somebody else. Because they didn't believe in digital or they just didn't want to build they didn't a publishing even, business? They didn't even understand what I was talking yeah. about because I wanted to do, I don't know if you remember back at that time frame, you had two types of digital assets. Ironically, you had AOL and Yahoo portals, yep. and then you had shitbag ad networks, right? Like um, non-verticalized, just mm-hmm. people who were putting together like daisy chains of scale, Yep. right? And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. It's an on-demand media platform that or people are looking, f- it's the democratized platform. So, and this was pre-social media too. So I was like, yeah, I but- think MySpace had just maybe gotten bought. You had Friendster and MySpace, yep. but they, but media platforms had not combined to use social platforms right. yet. They were really, social platforms were one-to-one at that point. So I was like, there's a vertical voice here thing that we can go on. And it's like, we can go and aggregate the best blogs from hip hop. Uh, the best blogs from sneakers, the best blogs from art and design, and we can give a ton of scale to the ad side of things, but we could remain as credible on a verticalized basis as anybody. And nobody had really done a verticalized ad network at that point. So they were like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, well, it's not our own We sell sweaters. Right, right. Exactly. Like, and by the way, it was, you know, to your point, magazines at that point were vanity projects. Yep. They were ecstatic. We weren't losing money. They were going to make some money. And they looked like they were geniuses because they made a magazine work and Ralph Lauren couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not going to work for me. I'm like, we got to go forward with this idea. And for six weeks, I kept quitting. I quit about 18 times in six weeks. And we finally broke and they let me break even the next year. And we went hardcore into digital exactly the way I, say, I said. That was a quick bio. Sorry? No, well, no, no, it, no, 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 it's good. It's good. But it's, it's important to understand the origins because it influences everything on a consistency basis across the board. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and we'll hear more of Rich's story. I'm back here with Rich. He's giving me business advice um, during the break. Um, we should point out I'm wearing a Vox shirt, but if you'd like to sponsor my shirt, it's I'm sure we nice can work logo, something by out. The way. Yeah, I had nothing to do with it. I don't like the color, but I like the uh, the, the font. All right, we'll tell Jim Bankoff. Jim listens to these, so you, you can, you're speaking directly that's, to him right that's now. Awesome. I that's love awesome. Jim. Everyone loves Jim. Hear that, He's Jim? a nice, super nice guy. Super nice guy, runs a business. This has been Pete and Rich talk about Jim. 2006, 2007, 2008, the internet's sort of re-becoming a thing. Social it networks. hasn't gone away. Social networks really start to explode. There's a MySpace versus Facebook discussion, that's, which is hilarious that's to think right. about now. And at that time, streetwear was also starting to collapse. So these guys overextended themselves, the Echo company mm-hmm. side of the company, which was our funding resource at the time from a cash flow perspective. And um, their line of credit blew up and everything happened. So I said, listen, guys, our business is going like this. Your business is going down. I'm like, I can't be dragged down. So you need cash. Let me go raise capital. And I'll be frank, at that point, I didn't even know or understand what VC meant. Uh-huh. My ignorance worked to our advantage because this was 08, 09 when I went out without a banker trying to figure out how to raise money. And ironically, we actually ended up sharing one of our early funders. Excel Partners was Uh in us with uh, Austin Ventures, Mm -hmm. where I found that we ended up closing that on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving of 2009. 
which enabled us to actually continue to operate and accelerate through the downturn. So 2008, 2009, Facebook is becoming big. There's a discussion about sort of what maybe Facebook might do for your business. But everyone, most people who are in digital publishing are spending a lot of time thinking about how to please Google. A hundred percent. Very reverse engineer search and right. right. Demand media at the time. Demand Think media and, and Huffington right. Post. And HuffPo. Right. Well, I mean, I mean they'll they tell you that launched, it was Facebook, right? but but they, they were very searchy. Right. Well, you know time. what's interesting about the Facebook versus Google, right? At that time. Facebook, to me, it blew up small verticalized communities like none before. Right. Like that. It was this gigantic platform with everybody participating, disproportionately youth at that Mm -hmm. time. And the youth is always interested in different niche, other things like that. So all these verticalized voices that we had aggregated now blew up from us from a traffic perspective organically. And didn't hurt when Twitter popped off as well, because, again, verticalized communities disproportionately, especially the communities we speak to. So we had all of these organic kind of oomphs. And the one thing, and, and this is hindsight always being 2020, I never counted on that happening. I loved the vertical voices because of the quality of, the, of what it was going to happen. I didn't understand it was also going to come with quantity because of the fragmentation and segmentation and the organic lift of social networks. But because I never counted on that from a business plan perspective, I also never went all in on moving us to other people's platforms. I looked at those, I made a delineation that I looked at them as discovery platforms, not content consumption platforms. And was that consistent or is that something in in retrospect? Oh, that's what I was doing. I didn't realize I was doing it. I didn't Um, realize I was doing it. Look, I'm a paranoid, neurotic person. A, I'm a New Yorker, Uh and B, I'm an entrepreneur. So if you want to be successful in either one of those things, you better be neurotic and a lunatic. I didn't never understood how you could put yourself and I mean this irrespective of any distribution platform, put yourself in somebody else's hands and the risk your business that way. Like it never made any sense to me, irrespective of how attractive the short-term optics might be. On the other hand, right, I mean, I mean, you can be very smart and you can have your eyes open. You go, look, it's sure risky for us to spend a lot of time trying to get, say, in 2005, Yahoo to send us all their traffic. That was when I was worked at Forbes.com. That was the model. Cut to Google, cut to Facebook. But we live in a world where that's how we're going to make our money or that's how we're going to get our eyeballs. We need to do that. And and then everyone has some version of hedging bets. But at some point you have to, most people, many people decide, well, we got to jump in. Well, hold on. It was, yeah, but let's go back. I, it was a small little thing I said, uh-huh. but I don't think it's a throwaway portion of it. There's a difference. You just even said working with Yahoo to drive traffic back to you is one thing. Mm-hmm. That's getting addicted to something versus, but you're still in control of the audience at the end of the day. And if you, to play that out, if you were smart about it, you would have tried to figure out how, okay, that's great. We got them here. How do we now turn them into our reader? Sure. And most people didn't. Well, they everyone just says like, they want to do that, right? Well, they say it now, but I think it's because they've learned these lessons of being like, oh, I thought that was just going to go on forever. I think if you make a definitive statement and understand and make a delineation of like, we look at this as a, a discovery platform for our content and our brand versus a content consumption platform. We never put full articles on Facebook. We never put full videos on a lot of places. We always did point backs, right? And it sounds small, but it's being cognizant of what that's going to do for you, not just on a protections basis, but that control factor allows you to control the monetization rather than somebody else, right? And it's one of the reasons I made the big mistake when we went into video hardcore, I was like, I couldn't swallow YouTube's 45% tax. And I was like, I have a gigantic network. I have a distribution platform. I'm making videos. I why, don't should need I, them. why should I give YouTube half my money? That's right. I don't need them. I could build a player. I'll get, a, I'll get Bright Cove to do us a custom player yeah. for nothing and, or virtually nothing. And I'm like, we'll run it across our network. I don't need them. And that's because we were so successful in never going all in on a platform before. And I quickly realized video is different. Even in 2012 and 13, just by that time, they basically, anybody under 25 years old had been conditioned that this is your new TV. 
Mm-hmm. And U- YouTube specifically. YouTube specifically. Yeah. And we had to figure out how to work with them. And I had to swallow and figure out how to do that, make that 45% work. And mm-hmm. and that was a big, that was probably one of the bigger mistakes we've made at Complex, but that was a big one. And how do you fix that? I mean, what we did is <laughs> instead of looking at them, because we were never going to be able to just put teasers up and then point them back to our player because that's not the way it works. Like they will tamp you down if you're not using if, if you want if you want to try to hack it by just giving little samples and saying for more YouTube will forget will it. not reward it, it, that. it's not you're not going to make their right bar mm-hmm. you're not going to get you have to use their your their player on your site and like, by the way that makes sense I mean well the, the player part but like if you're a YouTube consumer right you don't want to click on a video that's a teaser for something on complex you want to watch the video and amazingly enough you know, look, uh, disproportionately our consumers are on mobile. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is, is YouTube's player works. It just works. Mm-hmm. Not, And I know that's nothing in this day and age, but a couple of years ago, most players didn't. Yeah, clicking on a video was not a expectation that you're no, going to watch No, people have forgotten video. all of yeah. that, right? But what we did is we're like, okay, if we're going to go and then we're going to build these, let's build franchises in these, it's not it's not just about the short-term view, and it can't be you chase the viral hit that everybody else is doing. Let's create series. Let's treat it like it's TV. If the kids realize that that's their TV, then let's build it the way a network would. And we started building, we, we went after series very early. And again, this sounds duh now, but not a lot of people were doing that. People weren't building series and franchises. They were going for the volume of views and like one-offs and like a viral hit because mm-hmm. that's what agencies or media reporters yep. were like, this is hot. Let's go build something foundational and a community because we saw, you know, you saw people like Pie and others build massive subscriber bases. And it wasn't because they were doing viral content. They were, it was just a normal person in front. They were building conversations and communities. And those were the people who were breaking out. So why not apply that to our brand? And we went very serialized very early. And that was why we were able to build a decent audience. And what was nice about building series is people also, we dropped it at the same time every day, even though it's an on-demand media platform. So our 24-hour cum would be great, our three-day cum, our seven-day cum, the way TV gets measured. We was, we've been measuring it that way all the time. It made it very easy to buy from the agency so, perspective. So your answer to YouTube was taking 45%, that's too much. You're, basically what you said was, all right, we'll live with it and we'll just, we will create stuff that will generate enough volume that we can make money on YouTube and then hopefully some of that still benefits to the main brand. Yeah, and that's both true on a micro basis and a macro basis. Like even if you think about the way our business is today, we make, call it somewhere between seven and 10% net margin on our YouTube series just from a digital perspective, like on a sponsorship basis. And then when we go and we sell a lot of our series and syndicate it out to other places. So I only have a delivery cost. So that's that whatever we sell that for and syndicate that out for is an addition. So you make all the costs, all the cost structure. You make a profit on it when it runs on YouTube and then you can resell it other places. That's right. Every, so the, the rock that goes into the lake, all the ripples are basically at a 97 to 98% net margin. And most people just can't make the first rock work. That's the big difference between us and a lot of other people. But again, there's lots of publishers. They're all trying to make series. They're trying to get them onto Netflix or Hulu or wherever. Have they done it? They're trying. I mean, there's a lot of people who are doing it, right? Right. Um, Just saying, let's make popular shows isn't really a strategy, right? right? Well, everybody's doing that now. My point was is... We looked at this. This was 13 and 14 when we did it. And but then, even in 13 and 14, right, you, you just saying let's order up, let's make stuff that is popular and people will like is a very difficult thing to, to pull off. One, 100%. But I think you have to go, well, how is it going to be popular? Are you trying to make something viral or are you trying to make something differentiated? And that's why you, you keep hearing me use that word because, you know, our topics are organically differentiated because a lot of people, you know, most people back in 13 or 14, if you were trying to go viral, you probably wouldn't have picked sneaker content, so right? It, so but it, we so did it the hard way. So because in 13 and 14, where you, you're having success, you're building, you're growing an audience, this is also when all of a sudden t- uh, VCs are writing now $50 million checks to 
Vice to BuzzFeed to Vox. Um, this is starting to happen, and there's a story about how these they, traditionally they avoid media, but now these are different, and they're, these are technology plays, or because of the iPhone, it's a mobile Every, play. Everything under the sun. And this is probably when I talked to you and you were grousing about not getting coverage, but why weren't you out in line trying to get that VC money and, and, and supersize your business? I mean, we were organically growing. We were doing it profitably. Look, we raised $5.5 million in 09 from Excel and Austin Ventures and then another million dollars of, like, bridge capital. So it's six and a half. And then we took $25 million on in 12 from Iconics. That was all the money we ever raised. I mean, until the end, we raised $21 million from Hearst in, in September of 15, but then we got bought in February mm-hmm. of 16. So... We never got to use that money. But so technically it was really we built this whole thing on about $32 million. Right. But my question is, weren't you tempted or did you try to raise a ton more because everyone else was? And either you could take that money off the table or you could use it to build out your London network or whatever it was going to be. Yeah. I I mean, look, if you don't have a real use for it, and I don't mean a theoretical use just because – and and when I say theoretical use, I mean – I'm going to be very specific. It's like, you know what most digital company, media company strategy is? Is what is everybody else doing? Or what is everybody writing about? We never played that game. Like, we just never did. We did, and that was probably why I was extra frustrated of like, well, we're doing everything different. There is a narrative here, and nobody wants to talk about it. And, you know, we just, we didn't buy into that because if I didn't honestly, if I couldn't look at my board and say, I really have a plan that is unique to us and we can be differentiated and do this and I believe in it foundationally, then how can I go raise that capital just to have it? Do you remember the phrase, like, do you remember what people used to say? Like, hey, the money's out there. It's good to have. Mm -hmm. It will put it in the war chest. I'm like, that would make me freak out because I was like, if I was just raised a whole bunch of money, added a whole bunch of board members with more conflicting opinions who – also, like, didn't foundationally understand the business and wanted to just read a media article and then send it to me, well, why aren't we doing this? Which we all know yep. the story of the way a lot of this happened. I was like, that. I, to me, I thought that was completely obvious, and I just never understood why somebody didn't want to have your own strategy. If you have a strategy and you go raise that money and you really are going to go execute against it and you believe in it, that's great. But if you're doing it because everybody else is or that's what the hot thing to do is, then I, and there were a lot of people who did that. So you sell in 2016, which turns out to be basically the peak of, of this last round of media valuation. It's good timing. What prompted the sale and how did you end up with it with the joint owners? Well, I mean, it, like I said before, we um, had been talking strategically to Hearst. Mm-hmm. And, um, Which, in, by the way, invested in Vice and invested in BuzzFeed and pretty much everything. Every a refinery, yep. um, everybody at different levels, yep. at different time frames. Um, they have a bouquet strategy from an investment perspective, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I had been talking to Neeraj Kimlani. Do you know Neeraj? Yeah. Really. Super smart. Does he still run digital for them? It's not digital. He runs investments. Yes, so he's he been the digital guy for a while. And then he, yes, exactly. Yes. So he runs the uh, A&E relationship, mm-hmm. the Disney relationip, um, things like that. And, and He's George K's old job. Well, they did it together for a while. Yeah, he this just, is super inside he right took now. Over, yeah, he yeah. took – yeah, <laughs> we'll just keep going. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, and I had been talking to Neeraj and ironically, um, going back to what I was just saying is he loved the fact that we were truly verticalized and not just verticalized in like, hey, you own vertical audiences. But there was a – there's such an organic network effect on a cross-pollination basis because these are all related topics, right? It's a very similar audience and different perspectives. Um, and and he was just like – he was like, I loved how you attacked video. I loved how you are creating series and franchises. Like it just made a lot of sense to him because he came from the cable world, right? right? So he was exposed so to – So he people. likes you, but and, why do you want to sell? And, well, first they made an investment. Uh-huh. They put $21 million yeah. into us in September of 15. And it was based off of, and I can disclose this now, is I wanted to go all in hardcore on video. And when I say that, I mean 
we came out in, I don't know if you remember this, but in the new front in 2016, the new fronts, I was like, we're going to create the largest video only platform of, we're going to treat ourselves like a linear cable channel. And I'm going to put out 40 weekly and daily shows. Nobody was doing that at the time. And I mean, serialized. So every day or every week, there was going to be 40 different shows coming out. The New Fronts is the digital version of TV's Upfronts, up where all the digital publishers say, hey, we're just like TV. We've got a bunch of stuff. You Advertisers, why don't you sign up for it now? Right. Half the stuff they show you actually never Never. It, well, it's all because it's all on the come, yeah. right? Like it's like built if sold shit. Yeah. We were like, no, no, no. By the way, here's our programming slate. It's 40 shows. And... Uh, he was like, that's going to be a lot of money. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you put $21 million into us. And he's like, okay. He goes, he goes well, what if we really went for it then? Because I, I love the concept and the slate that you had. Like, you know, we had some crazy shows on there and really good ones. And he was like, I really believe in this strategy. I believe in the distribution idea. He's like what if we had a bigger conversation? Verizon's got this Go90 thing. I know you're talking to them. We are potentially looking at a JV. And we got in a room together and it came together really fast. And it was just obvious to me, you know, uh, I'm a, a recovering gambler, right? I haven't gambled in 15 and a half years, except for the business. So mm -hmm. I don't count that. I was basically sitting at the craps table and we had made stacks and stacks and stacks. But basically, there was like a run where we basically hit seven, 11 times, 12 times in a row. I've never played craps. Is that good it, or bad? It's really good. Okay. Right? <laughs> and uh, you're just stacking them up. And and you're like, it's gun like this is going to stop. And I don't want to have all my chips on the table. And we had somebody who fundamentally, both Verizon and Hearst, agreed completely with our strategy our large-scale vision of the marketplace, and their, and it aligned with the funding strategy of Go90 at the time. And I was like, wait, I can run exactly the play that I want to. These guys are now going to allow our team, our investors, to make a lot of money. Everybody make a lot of money. They're going to fund the growth on a go-forward basis, and they share the vision of what that growth is. This is a perfect scenario. How do you not take those chips off the table? And that's really what happened. You could have taken some money, but well, kept they the company for they, yourself. They, yeah, I mean, we sold everything. Yeah, it was yeah. 100% sale. Yeah, yeah, um, so you, you could have not sold. You could have taken some money, done a strategic deal. Could have, but everybody who was going, who was half-stepping, because that's literally like going putting mm -hmm. like some toes yeah. in the pool, mm -hmm. didn't have as aggressive of a large-scale play. And this was going to cost money. So instead of raising a ton of capital and then putting a valuation way too high and then restraining the way we we're going to run the business, I would have rather taken it off and then used that money directly for that shared view. So you sold the company for reported $250 million. More than that, but okay. Which, you, tell me the, you tell me the right number. It's, just it's, you and it's me got talking. a three handle in front of it, but that's fine. So that's good because at the time, everyone was saying they were worth $800 million or $2 billion or $6 billion, and now they have to sort of account for those valuations. Oh, you, mean the, the, you mean the WeWork parallel? I, I mean the, the mean parallels for lots of big digital media companies. Uh, Disney has since written off its investment well, entirely in Vice. Well, let me say, right. Well, let me say this. There's two ways to look at this. There's the mark-to-market ability to look at this and go, wow, look at the, like, the time frames and the multiples. It's also a function. You have to remember, we didn't raise a lot of money. Like I just yep. told you, I only raised $31.5 million to build the business at that time. And if you do the math, that's a quite a nice return multiple for a lot of our investors, yeah. as well as the management team. Um, when you raise a lot of money and you're at the bottom of a waterfall, and I don't get, we can get into preference and other, but that's probably too deep for this call. But you have a lot of, a lot of companies that what I didn't want to do as a CEO is raise a lot of capital and then crunch down all my employees, put them at the bottom of a waterfall where they might not see anything, even if we did exit for a lot of money. And I, like, I'm nodding quietly. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's and, and I don't mean not to, to, to you guys, but I mean, it's, I couldn't sleep at night for all the people that stood behind me and believed in my vision. And I'm not talking about my board. I'm talking about my employees who went all in with us for that long. There was no way they were not going to be optimized and protected so to that degree. I have more questions. Please. Take a quick break. Come right back. As Rich says, most people don't talk about that shit, but we do here at Recode Media. That's why you're still listening. Um, 
the other partner besides Hearst, Verizon, Go90. If you're still this deep in this conversation, you probably remember what Go90 was. <laughs> but just for context, this was Verizon's idea. They, were, they had these big media plans. Um, they had a series of big media plans. And one of them was they were going to build their own video network. The kids were going to love it. it the ultimate called, mobile platform. It was called Go90 because you were going to rotate your phone, phone 90. There's an amazing Verge story where they sent somebody out to go talk to the Verizon guys, and it looks like a parody of what a phone company would be doing to reach consumers. And it didn't work, and Verizon eventually shut it down and wrote off a big chunk of cash there. But in the meantime, they spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. If you weren't getting money from Go90, it meant that you weren't making video. That's right. They gave you a lot of money to go make video. Now they no longer are doing that. So how does that change what you do? Well, number one, we had a lot in the pipe, so we still have a lot coming out. You still have Go90 product coming out. Uh, well, Go90 coming, funded it comes product. right to us, yeah. exactly. Because, you know, you know, like, a lot, super premium content takes a long time to mm -hmm. actually get delivered, like, make and get yep. delivered. That said, let me let me say this. I think we, we were talking about it when actually we were on the call when I was driving out east and yeah. we were talking. And I'm going to say it because I think it's fun, is a lot of people— you know, that hundreds and hundreds of million dollars that you're talking about, I make the correlation that that was, you saw Scarface, right? Sure. You know, the end when he's got the big pile of Coke? Sure. Well, most media companies sat there and partied mm -hmm. with that Coke. What we did is said, okay, it might work on Go90, but if it doesn't, I'm going to take it and we know it's reverting back to us and I can get, we're going to go and take it to other regions, cut it up in other formats and be able to create other money. So basically, we took the Coke and made little packages and then resold it. So we had a plan. I'm glad we you didn't, finished the Coke metaphor. We didn't, to party, see the we didn't party with it the way other people did. Um, I hate to say it, but that pile of Coke was just this new pile of Coke. The old pile of Coke, to your point, not to go back to the beginning of this conversation, where Facebook likes or yeah. Facebook views and other things. It's like there's always, a, there's always a lineup of people ready to do the party. But Nobody's there, ready to come up with a business plan to use that. But, and that's what doesn't make any sense to so me. So I get that you take their money and you turn it into other money well, or other piles of Hold on. Of you have to remember, it's technically their money that they will get back also mm -hmm. because they're a 50% owner for us. But two things. One, you had a company that was really interested in digital media and video a couple years ago. Now they're not, right? They have a new CEO. Uh, Go90 is gone. And more than that, this, they spent $9 billion on AOL and Yahoo, and they're pretty much trying to back out of that now. So your 50% owner, which had been very interested in media a couple years ago, is really explicitly not. So how does that change what you're going to be doing? Like I said, here's the beautiful part. That would be a very different answer if they had been a majority mm -hmm. and we had integrated into them. We never did. We ran it as an independent asset since we sold in July of 2016 when the deal closed. And we continue to run as an independent asset and we do distributions to them because we're profitable. So we don't have to change the current structure at all. It can be looked at as an investment vehicle rather than a strategic play. Pre previously, it was both. Now it's probably just looked at as an investment vehicle within Verizon. I can't speak 100% yeah. for them, but we're not costing them anything, and we're writing them checks. And then there were a couple channels that you were connected to that were shut down, right? Uh, One was like a red state news thing. Oh, yeah. Well, we when VHMP was formed, which was Verizon Hearst Media Partners, okay. before our deal closed— and that was launched uh, seriously, which was a comedy vertical, mm -hmm. which comedy is not a vertical. It's a genre, and it should never be looked at that way. Um, that's my viewpoint. Okay. And then there was something called, uh, why am I? It was supposed to be conservative news. Rated red. Yes. No, 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 not news. Not news. It was basically complex for the South. So if instead of sneakers, it was hunting. Instead mm -hmm. of hip-hop, it was trap. It You know, like other things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so uh, it, interesting from the standpoint of those two things were launched as part of the, the larger play. It made sense from an operational platform and efficiencies to roll them under us. When Go90 changed a lot of those strategies, that informed a disproportionate amount of those businesses because of the nascency of each of those brands. And made us look at them, had to look at them differently. I'm going to try to translate, but that was those, those got shut down. Yes. And then you had to do staff cuts, right? Yes. Okay. 
So I mean, from those brands, from those brands, and you're saying, well, that doesn't really count as part of our narrative because they was sort of handed over to us by our owners, and it's not, it's not our core. H- handed is probably not the, yeah. yeah but I, it, it, look, it's, I didn't come up with those as yeah. verticals. Um, probably wouldn't have been where we would have focused um, those dollars if we, if it was up to us from a strategic perspective. Um, like I said. If you notice, all of our verticals are all interrelated. Neither of those really were interrelated yeah. with what we were doing. So it didn't play the network effect. So I don't want to, like, I'm just proving my point there. But look, we did our best under those circumstances. A greater proportion of those were to sate the Go90 play, though. So that's where the difficulty ran into because it wasn't just us making some strategic decisions. I was listening to a podcast with you and our friend Brian Morrissey from Digiday. It's it's pretty entertaining because you guys are at Cannes. I think you're drinking a rosé on stage. Uh, we were drinking a lot of rosé. There's like people honking, I don't know if they're taxis or yacht horns, whatever they are. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's spring of 2019. 18, and Correct. you are confidently asserting that uh, everyone is, everyone's screwed in digital media, which people are starting to say. Um, a few months later, Mike is, is done. A bunch of other sites are done. So now you get to say, look, I told you guys you were doing it all wrong. We've been doing it right, for, leaving aside the grave dancing. Um, now we're in the consolidation discussion, right? There actually hasn't been that much consolidation. You know? Do you know people, why? Yeah. You, will you tell me? I bet you we share this opinion. It's something we've already discussed is a lot of these companies have raised a lot of money and the people that are on these cap tables that are sitting in the preference positions, the waterfall that we were talking about, are not ready to take the haircut that is necessary at all. And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I believe that is pole position, number one reason why these deals have not gotten done. So let's, let's put surpri- that up there. There's a bunch of sites that have, have gone under or nearly gone under, and Brian Goldberg's bought a lot of them. <laughs> um, and we're going to see how that works out. And then there are a bunch of big-ish companies like Refinery and BuzzFeed and Vice and Vox, and they're all kind of circling each other. Um, and Group and 9 was in that Group discussion. 9 and— It looks like they've worked out their scenario, though. Yeah. Well, at least for the short term. Yeah. Not sure. We'll see. And they all sort of say they want to consolidate. No one's gone ahead and done it. And you think it's because the investors can't make the math work. I would think that for most of these investors, they've since said, look, we realize this is not going to be 10x. We're not writing it down, but we kind of don't really care. This We only care if this thing is going to become huge. And so whatever makes this thing reach some sort of conclusion should be fine with us. You're applying rational thought. And I don't think most people are rational. I think the exuberance, um, the correction that we've had in this marketplace has not been fully realized. You know, not to make a stock market parallel, but it's like, you know, people forget in 08, even though September was the big, Mm -hmm. there was a massive step down in February that was very indicative of what was going to happen. I just think we're in February. Like... The people it's gonna get worse. People have the investors and people have to experience the hubris in this category. People have to experience massive pain before they actually do anything. Think about politics, same thing. And by the way, you, you, there are some media companies still raising money. They usually have a different model. That's people like The Athletic keep raising piles of money for subscription sports. The, subscri- the subscription thing is interesting. I think it's actually only scalable in sports, personally. zone, you know, um, mm-hmm. Skipper's new yep. thing, which I actually really like. You know, I like The Athletic a lot. I'm not, I, I, that, I mean the content and not as much, I don't know their business model exactly, but I think way too many people are chasing this subscription model and I don't think it's going to work. So let's talk about your business now. Yep. I hate saying going forward, but we'll say it. Almost all of it I'm getting free. Correct. You're not excited because about Because you know why we can do that? We can do that because we've dropped below 50% of our money coming from advertising. Of our total revenues, Uh less than 50% come from advertising. And the rest comes from? Events, product. So events is complex con? Complex con. So if if I'm a sneakerhead, that's where I'm going. Not just sneakerhead. I mean, if you're interested in up-and-coming cultural food experiences, if you are interested in live programming, if you're interested in probably some of the best youth culture conversations. It's a festival. It is a cultural Super Bowl. What's a ticket cost? Uh, on average, $175. you sell how many of those for, for a weekend? We had 30000 in Chicago. Last year, we had 65000 in Long Beach. 
And so it's it's like-minded young people getting together to check out cool stuff. It is the culmination of all of our verticals and all of our brands uh, where we come together and you can buy the best sneakers and the most cool thing products in the world as well as experience food, some of the best music. Kid Cudi is highlighting Saturday night. So, Mo- so you have money from events. Uh, where else? Money from events. You know, you, we have this little hot sauce business hot that sauce comes off a thing. That. I mean, we'll do. I don't want. To, she's going to kill me again. But I think, seven million. I think we're I topping. No, that's that was last. That year? was two years ago. Uh-huh. We'll do over twenty million of top line gross this year of hot sauce. Of hot sauce. It's insane. Well, I got to send you the package because now we have. Six different, six, right? The right two, I will, I will accept the two customs of the redos and four standards. We have Calientes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I got it. I got it. Um, All right, check the show notes for the, that's the right. complete hot sauce but, lineup. But, but the hot, like hot, and then hoodie, uh, e-commerce, we have a monster e-commerce effort. So instead of selling coming. subscriptions, you're selling tickets, you're selling hot sauce, you're selling sweatshirts. Well, we start the conversation from a content perspective. We're able to make money off of that within that. And then licensing and syndication of our content is tremendous, by the way. You got to remember, we have our deal with several uh, linear cable channels. Um, we have 10 shows on Hulu. We have six on Netflix and 10 seasons worth of things on Netflix. So, you know, multiple, like, uh, shows, QB1, Dropping Cash. I mean, and these are monster, large-scale plays. I mean, so it's a significant and is all the stuff that aired somewhere else, and then you resell it to Hulu or some, Netflix? Some, or some, some of, of that virtual? did. I mean, QB1's a perfect case example of the whole Coke analogy we talked about before. QB1's first season appeared on Go90. Um, the second it's a documentary f- about high school football. Right? About high school football. We actually had Jake Fromm, who was the Georgia quarterback the freshman year. I'm shrugging. I'm a big sports fan. Okay. So we had some unbelievable people. It ended up, he ended up playing as a as true freshman uh, for the Ge- University of Georgia in the ch- national championship game as QB1 season was airing the first time on Go90. It was a wild success on Go90. We were able to sell it to Netflix. Season two and three appeared on Netflix, and now we're talking about developing four or five other things with them. So we took a show that wouldn't work on the because of the platform, but worked because of the audience we were able to develop around that and the quality of it. And we worked with Peter Berg's Film 45 to develop that. That's the guy who made Friday Night Lights and yeah. many other movies. Right. Um, I should have done this at the top. You're doing $200 million this year? Is that the number you we saw can't, floated? I, I can't comment. I saw floated multiple times. How, uh, how much of that comes from deals that you did through Go90? Because um, that was certainly a question. Uh, less I saw that than, number. like, t- I'd say maybe 10, 12% tops. Okay. Um, so that's, and not, I mean a, that that's from, not an inflated number from no, a thing that doesn't exist none anymore. Of, exactly. I mean, look, that closed, what, last summer mm-hmm. at this point? It feels, I'm, like, it feels like eight years ago. But this business, we've been developing the diversification way earlier than a lot of other people. Like, you know, we launched- Because that's everyone's strategy now. Right, well, now it is. But we got to remember, we went, I, I already talked to you about, we went to build out linear cable channel with no anch- one anchor. Like, that's the big, another big difference between us and Vice on a business model perspective. You know, if instead of us going, here's Complex's channel, now we have to point everybody to a platform that less and less young people are going to. We were, I, we always believe that let's create our own library. So we have 1,500 to 1,600 premium hours of content. I can put anywhere, even on a first look basis, everywhere. They can't. So that's a big differentiation. And I would rather be in our play than have that as an anchor, even if it's a big funding resource. Just to tie that up, right? Vice has a deal where they are getting paid by Hearst, which is also an investor, uh, to program Viceland, which... You know, Nancy Dubuque will, will kick me, but no one watches. But they're, but Vice is getting paid, and so that's real money for them. I think it's probably a significant chunk of their revenue at this point. But you're saying you would not want a deal with a network to pro— you wouldn't want your own vi- version of Viceland. No, we would rather be in a situation where we create the best content in the world and can align it to the right distribution platforms, either strategically or based on monetization or audience development. And we make those choices without having an anchor that we have to point to, which is part of yesterday. So you're not doing subscriptions like everybody else. Um, You are profitable. We might might do a subscription offering that has to do with all of our plays. So you might be able to get a first look at our content 
You might be able to get first VIP tickets to ComplexCon. You might be able to get disproportionate deals for certain isolated merchandise. Mm -hmm. Things that are more related. I believe that if you're going to run a subscription business from a media perspective and you're not Disney, I think you need to have a deep connection with your audience and the offering needs to add value across multiple outlets. I, I just I, I don't. And what you're what you're teasing out is is a version where you sell a subscription to. It's things. a lifestyle subscription, right? But it's but it's things you pretty much already have. You're just saying if you're a super fan, we're going to let you see the stuff we're already making Correct. a little bit earlier. And people hate the word fan club. I think it's a really good idea because well, if you are a super fan and you're willing to pay for it, and it doesn't really cost you guys anything more to make it. Why not do it? It's just different than saying we have. A, well, not not just business. to geek out, but like I mean, here's like I'm a little bit. I know I don't come off like a numbers guy, but I actually am. You look at what you are and who you are, and we have a lot of heavy users, right? We still have like 17% of our audience comes 30 or more times a month to Complex.com, right? And think about how many people. When we put up ComplexCon tickets, how many people are ready to sign up and we sell out instantaneously? I mean, these are serious numbers that we're putting up. So we have a large-scale fan base, um, and it is very heavy user-oriented on a disproportionate basis to most people's, right? Most people have dotted line connections to a whole mm -hmm. bunch of people rather than a really deep connection to a smaller subset. But I do believe that too much—you have to be realistic now—too many people— of the, the youth culture side of things. Like, I mean, most of our audience is really 18 to 24. That's our sweet spot. Um, they have been brought up on free media. Yep. So you don't want to run against that. You don't want to run up that hill. You want to run down that hill. So the, what they will do is pay for value. So if we can give them a... Um, VIP experience across everything that is interesting. You're not going to take what you're making and put it behind a paywall. But if you want to, if you if you love this stuff a lot and you want to spend some money and get a cool thing that you can't get somewhere else, and be first. Uh, where I was trying to go is there are other sites, other publishers that you think are struggling. You think eventually their their owners are going to capitulate. Do you go ahead and consolidate some of those yourself? Um, I'm going to be painfully consistent and go back to only if they truly fit our model from that network effect. Like, if it's a huge business that is completely undervalued but has nothing to do with anything that we do, I'm not going to lobby very hard to the board that we should go be aggressive and go take this person in just from an economies of scale and growth for growth purposes. We've never done that. I don't see why we would do that going forward. I think... It's hard enough integrating a brand and other things in. I'm going to flip your question a little bit and even take it to another level. My biggest problem with a lot of these people is they don't have businesses because technically they don't have brands. And I know that sounds very different than the way – like I think they haven't built real connections to communities and audiences to the degree like that – we have, per se, or some other brands might have. Now, there's some brands that have not been wildly effective of, of being disciplined in the way they run their business. That's more attractive to me. But I think there's a lot of people who've gotten to like 80 to $100 million of revenue out there that— but They don't stand for anything. No they have nothing. They, and they can't move their business around. They've reverse engineered into it. And I think they're totally screwed. And I, I see no value in that. Do you want to name a name? I can't do that. Too many people I like. We'll do it. I we'll like do them it as I like them as individuals, and that's not fair. I, I, I brought you in here specifically so you would say incendiary things, Rich. I, have I not? Yeah, you're, you're enough. Not. You're I mean, come on. Well, listen, we'll get another we'll get another bite at this because you are going to come on stage with us in November in LA. That's right. With a bunch of these people that that you despise. First of all, I said exactly the opposite. I'm kidding. Uh, but I, you're, I you're despise gonna, their business. If you like this conversation, <laughs> Rich is going to join us at uh, Code Media in November. You should come to our site so you can get more information about that. It's going to be a very good event. Um, it's not free, not like this podcast. Anyway, this is the amuse-bouche. Thank you for saying that properly, I think. I said it properly. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Jelani and Zach. And Joel Robbie is back. Our editor is back. Welcome back, Joel. Uh, thanks to our advertisers who allow us to bring you this podcast for free. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week. They're not going to have this uh, problem with the Scarface reference. They're going to love it. Okay, good. Thanks, guys.